Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. I am your host, Daniel Gundlach, and I am thrilled to share with you the opera and classical singers about whom I am most passionate. I hope that when you hear these voices, you might echo me in saying, God, I love her, or God, I love him. Now, Without any further ado, I bring you this week's episode. Hello, everyone. It's been a little crazy around here this past week. I still haven't figured out how to make money doing this podcast, and I have some freelance work that has come in that provides me with food on my table until I figure out how to start making money doing this podcast. That work is unfortunately going to have to take precedence, which is to say that these next few episodes are going to be rather thrown together. unlike the ones that I have been spending 12 hours a day on, seven days a week. It's been a significant week in terms of anniversaries, commemorations, etc. I'm going to start this episode at what is normally the end with the music that you hear for the playout, and then we're going to discuss the person who is singing.
If you've been a regular listener to the podcast, you probably realize that that is the French baritone Gérard Souzet, who is one of my very favorite singers in the entire universe, for reasons that I hope are obvious to you. But as my not-boyfriend David tells me all the time, I have to explain to people why they should care about the things that I care about. He says he expects that of his students, and I think it's a reasonable thing to expect of scholars. I'm not a scholar, but I am a music professional. So why not apply those same standards to myself? So this episode is going to be primarily devoted to the 101st birthday of Gérard Souzy and an explanation of why you should care about him as much as I do. So, Gérard Souzy, December 8th, 1918, is the day that he was born. That means that Saturday, December 8th, 2019, was his 101st birthday. Now, I've already complained in a previous episode that his 100th birthday went virtually ignored, where it should have been something that everyone was aware of, and everyone in the music world was celebrating, commemorating, paying tribute. It didn't happen, so I'm just going to offer a little bit of a tribute myself. So let's let's start with a little biographical information here. Gérard Souzé was born in Angers under the name Gérard Tisserand. It was a musical family. His sister, in fact, Geneviève, who became known as Geneviève Touraine, also was a professional singer. And now I get to jump in with a little sample of Geneviève Touraine's singing. What we're going to hear today is an excerpt from the Fiancailles pour Rire of Francis Poulenc. She, in fact, was the first performer of these songs in 1942. And then a number of years later, I think it was 1954 or 55, recorded the cycle with Francis Poulenc. What I'm going to offer for you right now is her recording of the final of those songs, Fleur.
Suzet often claimed that his sister was the true artist in the family. I don't know if he was being disingenuous or if he felt maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe he felt a little strange that the fact that he, 15 years younger than his sister, had gone on to a worldwide career and she really hadn't. I have no idea. She is a wonderful artist, but I have to admit, he's the one who had the voice that makes me weak in the knees. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. A little note on that recording that is the song Azulao by the Brazilian composer Jaime Ovalle. It's probably Suze's most famous recording. I'm following David's dictum to try and show you immediately why you should care. This is the text. It's very simple. The narrator is talking to the bluebird. Bluebird, go fly to my unfaithful lover and tell her that without her, the countryside simply is not the same. And then it repeats, pianissimo, and then you just burst into tears. That's it. Oh my god. It's just so fucking beautiful, okay? So Suzet and his sister Geneviève did record together a pair of duets by Purcell in 1949 with Irene Aitoff accompanying on the Boite à Musique label. And I'm going to offer you My Dearest, My Fairest. Oh, 
So it might be a little strange to hear brother and sister cuckooing at each other, but in my opinion, it's not nearly as creepily incestuous as the father-daughter team of Frank and Nancy Sinatra crooning their tuneless way through that ever-popular tune, Something Stupid, which is an aptly named song because it is one of the stupidest songs ever written. Just as a little aside. I practice every day to find some clever lines to say to make the meaning come through. But then I think I'll wait until the evening gets late and I'm alone with you. The time is right, your perfume fills my head, the stars get red and oh, the night's so blue. And then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love you. But let's get back to today's subject, shall we? As I said before, this was a family of music lovers. And the family legend was that both parents had been present at the world premiere of Debussy's Pelleas et Mélisande, but unbeknownst to each other because they didn't know each other at that point. It only emerged later that they had both been present at that performance. Souzet originally went to Paris to study philosophy, but while he was there, he met Pierre Bernac, among other people, and Bernac encouraged him to pursue his musical aspirations. Suis-moi vive et gentille, pieds nus, viens, les gazons sauvèrent, les ruisseaux jaseurs par les bois désert, promènent leurs flots clairs, les ruisseaux jaseurs par les bois désert, promènent leurs flots clairs, viens, viens, les gazons I will just say that while I find Pierre Benac to be an ingratiating and estimable artist, his voice is pretty ugly, especially compared to Gérard's. My opinion. Young Gérard entered the Paris Conservatory in 1940, where his two principal teachers were Claire Croissat and Giovanni Emilio Diogenio Marcou, whom some of you may know by his more famous stage name, Vanni Marcou. I'm going to play you just short clips of each of these singers. Let's start with Vanni Marcou singing the role of Golo in uh, Debussy's uh, Pelleas et Mélisande, 
Significantly, Suzé went on to interpret this role, and it certainly was his most successful and renowned operatic assumption. We're going to listen to the scene in which Golot, consumed by jealousy, drags his pregnant wife by the hair across the room, making the sign of the cross and screaming, Absalom, Absalom. I want you to hear the concentrated rage and also the way in which he delivers the text with the enormous clarity. There's also a comparable vocal quality, I think, to Suzy's, but you may or may not hear that. I actually do. I'm curious to hear whether or not you agree with me. Croisa was Suzé's other significant teacher. She spent the first part of her career singing primarily operatic material, which may come as a surprise to those who remember her as an interpreter of French art song. None of her recordings are of the standard operatic literature. However, she sang everything from Clitemnestra in Electra to La Ceca in La Gioconda, so she clearly had a voice of substance. One associates her more with the fine-tuned art of the melodie. And now another side note, a heartfelt plea from me. Friends, please do not refer to French art song as chanson. Edith Piaf sang chanson. Those of you who know a little bit about me know that I adore Edith Piaf with all of my soul. But she sang chanson, she did not sing melodie. Sorry, I just have to be a little pedantic. Because one sees it all the time. All the time. Even on, on recordings of melodie, they write chanson by Debussy, Ravel. No, no. Nope. They're not chanson. Let's call them Melodie and spare me having a heart attack. Thank you. Now that we've gotten that all cleared up, let us listen to Claire Croissa sing the first of the very short Le Bestiaire cycle that was an early work of Francis Poulenc. Indeed, it is Francis Poulenc who accompanies her on this 1928 recording. This is the first song, Le Dromadaire, The Camel. 
And yes, that camel has a little snap in his tail. I'm going to play you a few of my favorite of Suze's very earliest recordings. Let's see. I'd like to offer you a recording of César Franck's beautiful song Nocturne. The pianist is Jean-Michel Damas, with whom Suze worked at the very beginning of his career. This was recorded in June of 1947. This was evidently rejected. It was never released until a few years ago on the Dutton record label, a CD reissue. I don't understand what's wrong with this recording, that it would have been rejected. I think it is a brilliant, brilliant performance. Let me just share a little of the text with you. The poet is Louis de Foucault. Aux fraîches nuits, nuits transparentes, mystères sans obscurité. La vie est noire et dévorante, aux fraîches nuits, nuits transparentes, donne-moi ta placidité. So, O oh chilly night, transparent night, mystery without darkness, life is black and insatiable. Oh chilly night, transparent night, give me your calm. I can tell you from personal experience that it was an extremely difficult song to memorize because there's a repeating pattern in each of the four verses and it's very difficult to keep them all straight. Each verse mounts in intensity and you hear that in the accompaniment as well. Then at the end, when it goes into the major, we have, oh great night, solemn night, in which everything is delicious. Take my entire being under your wing, O great and solemn night, and pour sleep into my eyes.
I'm going to offer you one more of Suzet's earliest recordings in French. This is the Debussy Colloque Sentimental from the second set of the Fête Galante. The poet is Paul Verlaine. The title of the song translates as Sentimental Conversation. I can speak again from personal experience as to the power of this song. I used to offer it quite frequently, and in fact, I once won a competition singing it. It's a conversation that takes place between two dead spirits wandering through a frozen park in the middle of the night. Dans le vieux parc solitaire et glacé, deux formes ont tout à l'heure passé. Their eyes are dead, their lips are soft and one can scarcely hear what they're saying. And then the conversation. Do you remember our former ecstasy? Why do you want me to remember? Does your heart still beat at the very sound of my name? Do you still see my soul in your dreams? No. Oh, those beautiful days of unspeakable happiness when our lips were joined together. That's possible. Oh, the sky was so blue, and hope was so great. Hope has fled, defeated, into the black night. Thus they walked in the tall, wild grasses, and the night alone heard their words. The pianist here in this 1947 recording is Jacqueline Bonneau, who was his most frequent collaborator until Dalton Baldwin entered the scene in the mid-1950s. Thank you. 
souvient-il de notre extase ancienne Pourquoi voulez-vous donc qu'il m'en souvienne Ton cœur bat-il toujours à mon seul nom Because Suzet did not want to be confined to only French repertoire, he made a point of studying Lieder with probably the most important Lieder singer of that time, and that is the great Lotte Lehmann. I've spoken about her before. I'm not sure I've ever played anything by her. I'm just going to play a very short clip of her singing a portion of Beethoven's Ich liebe dich. Oh. 
I think it's immediately clear what makes Lehmann so special. It's her spontaneity. It's her dedication to conveying the meaning of the text. These were clearly things that she also imparted to Suzet. And in fact, he speaks about that in this short clip. I don't know the provenance of this clip. I don't know the time in which it was recorded, but it's Wonderful to hear Suzé speaking specifically about his artistic credo and also at the beginning of the connection that he felt with Lotte Lehmann. As a man, as an, as an artist, I am natural. That's why probably my dear Lotte Lehmann liked my work. She also was natural. I don't think I am sophisticated, nor do I ever have towards the music I have to perform a very intellectual approach. Simply, music means a lot to me, and I feel very deeply what I sing. Sometimes when I sing, I shiver. But it's not because I love what I'm doing, it's because music moves me to the bones. Anything I do musically is spontaneous and motivated. As a singer, I never try to prove anything. For instance, to prove that I sing better than others. Some singers obviously want to prove they can do things nobody else ever achieved before. I admire these singers, and in the end, they might indeed have the last word. I let them have it. Of course, I do prepare my interpretations, but I always leave a margin for the last minute's intuition. Relying perhaps too much on my instinct is living dangerously, I know it, but that's my way. Once I received a letter from a woman. She wrote that most of the time I give her the impression of improvising. Again, it is not an impression I try to give, but no doubt this person had understood me well. And I think that's the reason why I shall never be really popular. The big public likes interpretations that are explanations. For me, music is crystal clear and self-explanatory. Therefore, when I'm performing, I only propose my feelings. I'm going to return to, again, the earliest era of Suzet's recorded legacy. This is a performance of Schumann's Der Sandmann, which is an excerpt from his Liederalbum für die Jugend, the children's songbook. This recording was made in approximately 1949. What I love about this version is the way he impersonates the Sandman. I picture this androgynous figure, almost genderless, who has such tenderness and is so solicitous towards the children. About four and a half years later, he recorded the song again with Jacqueline Bonneau, again at the piano. It's characterized differently. I love the characterization in this early version. It speaks to Suzet's willingness to make himself as a performer extremely vulnerable and open. It's a beautiful thing. Zwei feine Stieflein hab ich an, mit wunderweichen Söllchen dran. 
im Säcklein hab ich hinten auf, husch, tritt ich fast die Treppe hinauf. Und wenn ich in die Stube tritt, die Kinder beten ihr Gebet. Von meinem Sandzeitkörnerein streif ich auf ihre Augen ein. Schlafen Sie die ganze Nacht in Gottes und der Englein Wacht. Von meinem Sandzeitkörnerein streut ich auf Ihre Augen ein. Den frommen Kindern soll gar schön ein froher Traum vorübergehen. Risch und rasch mit Sack und Stab nur wieder jetzt die Treppe hinab. Ich kann nicht länger müßig stehen, muss heut noch zu gar vielen gehen. Da nickt hier schon und lacht im Traum und öffnet doch mein Säcklein I think that Suze was the ideal interpreter of Schubert Lieder. There are so many things that I could choose from. I think his Die Schöne Müllerin is supreme above all other versions. There's not another version that I prefer, and that includes those by that other famous baritone from around the same era, whose name is never to be mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> But here is a recording from 1960, a live recording done in Schwetzingen of Der Zwerg. Der Zwerg means, pardon me, the dwarf. It's a gothic tale of deception, adultery, murder. It's unbelievable. Rather than spending my time reciting the whole thing to you, I'm going to put the text up on the website for the podcast. That's, <laughs> once again, countermelodypodcast.com. One word. The story just seethes with sex and blood, and it's really quite violent. In a song like this, where the story is so important, you really get an incredibly strong sense of Suzé's need to tell this tale. Once again, a 20th century troubadour.
I had mentioned earlier Suse's impersonation of Golot in Debussy's Peleas et Melisande. It's interesting that he chose to take that route rather than what might have seemed the more natural assumption of the role of Peleas. He infuses this part with an un unbelievable amount of rage. I'm going to play you a portion of the scene with his son Ignold in which Golot tries to solicit information from him about what's going on between his wife Melisande and his half-brother Peleas. This recording, which I was very lucky to get my hands on, is with Désiré Emile Ingelbrecht conducting. It's a recording from French radio from the 24th of November 1955 with Gérard Souzet as Goulot and the previously unknown to me Nicole Robin as Ignold. Ingelbrecht has his finger on the pulse of what makes this music so dramatically cogent and alive. The tension that is built in this scene is simply indescribable. See if you love it as much as I do. Qu'il s'embrasse, petit père, non, non. Ah si, petit père, si, une fois, une fois qu'il pleuvait. Ils se sont embrassés, mais comment, comment se sont-ils embrassés Comme ça, petit père, comme ça. Oh, 
sait pas, on ne sait pas encore. Je crois que Péléa, c'est fou Petite mère Oui, oui, je veux la voir Ne fais pas de bruit Je vais te hisser jusqu'à la fenêtre Elle est trop haute pour moi Bien que je sois si grand Fais pas le moindre bruit. Petite mère aurait terriblement peur. La vois-tu Est-elle dans la chambre Est-ce qu'il parle Non, petit père, il ne parle pas. Mais que font-ils Ils regardent la lumière. Tous les deux Oui, petit père. Ils ne disent rien Non, petit père. Ils ne ferment pas les yeux. Ils ne s'approchent pas l'un de l'autre. say that this opera is boring, they don't know what the Sam Hill they're talking about. I've already had to cut at least a half an hour of music out of this program, and I've really tried to keep all my talking down to a minimum, although I do want to also give some background to what we're discussing, so it's a delicate balance, as we say. I'm going to offer one last piece of Suzy, and that is also from the Schwetzingen concert from which we heard Dert's Werk earlier. I'm posting this in honor of my dear, not-boyfriend David, 
whose father died 13 years ago this past week. It's one of Suzet's recordings of Ravel's Kaddish. There are two studio recordings, both of which are magnificent. This one somehow gains the edge for me, perhaps because it's live. I find Suzet's ease with the melismas of the Hebraic chant to be mesmerizing. Also palpable here is the way that the piece builds from the ground up until we get to the final Amen, which is really overwhelming. This is in honor of Dr. Jack and for David.
last thing that I really need to say today about Gérard Souzé is that I feel that he is speaking to me and me alone. And I think every single person who listens to him singing can have that same response that they're being addressed in all of their secrets, in all of their hidden desires, their nakedness, you're being exposed. It's like killing me softly with his song. It's sort of how I think about him. I cannot remember where I first read this. I think it might have been the liner notes to his Songs from Many Lands, which is the one that the Azulao, the bluebird song, came from, in which he was referred to as a troubadour for our times. I see him as an itinerant musician who absolutely had to sing, and that compelling need of his made us all so much richer. I cannot leave this episode without saying a word about December 2nd. It's an extremely important date in music history, at least as far as I'm concerned. First of all, it's the birthday of Maria Callas, who would have turned 96 this year. I'm going to share with you the Vien di Letto, the cabaletta from the mad scene of Ipuritani 
from her 1949 recording for Chetra. It provides the most supreme example of her downward chromatic scales, the so-called string of pearls. It remains for me one of the most supreme examples of her vocal artistry. December 2nd, 1950, Dinu Lipati, the great Romanian pianist, died prematurely of Hodgkin's disease at the age of 33. I know we don't normally talk about pianists here, except when they're accompanying singers, but Lipati for me is the supreme poet of the keyboard. I first encountered him when my father came back from the seminary in St. Louis, where he would go to study in the summers. He returned home with a recording of Lipati playing the Chopin waltzes to give to my mother. I don't think either of them even got a chance to play it. I grabbed that record and I played it over and over and over. Over, and it still remains for me a supreme example of making the piano sing. Before I sign off, let me once again thank Alan Segal for his beautiful underscoring and Steve Robinson for his assistance in the production of the podcast and to you, my dear listeners, for joining me. I look forward to greeting you again next week when we begin our two-part exploration of Christmas music. 
Since we've already heard the normal playout music, I'm going to offer instead today the performance that Lipati gave in his final recital of the Schubert G-flat impromptu, the only extant recording that we have of him playing this repertoire. For me, I hear a soul struggling in the face of waning physical strength to affirm a life-giving force that is greater than death itself.
Until next time, my friends. Keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.